You're listening to Halford and Bruff. Bruce is our coach now, okay? Elliot, please tell me someone, maybe you, are writing a book about the last couple of years. <laughs> Somebody has to. There's no question about it. Mr. Rutherford, tear this team down. We're not looking towards a rebuild. I'd rather call it a retool. No, 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 no. Good morning, Vancouver 601 on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. It is Halford. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live. From the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. Adog, good morning to you. Good morning. And Laddie, good morning to you as well. Hello, hello. Solid intro today, Laddie. Very well done. Uh, Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. I also mentioned we are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios. They have a number of five-star Google reviews. I won't tell you how many. Jason will. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500, Mike, 1,500. Is that the number? Five-star Google reviews. That's how many days is in this Canucks season, 1,500. 1,500. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Big show ahead on a Tuesday on the Halbro Experience. Uh, we got a really, really good guest list today. Not that we don't normally, but today's, oof. It is something else. You're going to want to listen to the entirety of this show. It begins at 6.30. Our NHL insider from ESPN, Greg Wyshynski, is going to join us. We'll do the usual hijinks with Greg, whip around the NHL. I think we might talk about the Vancouver Canucks with Greg. Who's to say? But I bet that we will. 7 o'clock, speaking of the Vancouver Canucks, former Vancouver Canucks owner, Arthur Griffiths, is going to join us on the show to share some of his memories of Gino Ojic, that time period. Golden years, really, especially around 94 for the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, it was the first real golden era of the Vancouver Canucks. Simpler times, really. 7 o'clock, Arthur Griffiths is going to join us. Uh, 7.30, back-to-back guests in the 7 o'clock hour. Really, people you want to talk to right now, Nathan Rourke. I can no longer call him BC Lions quarterback, Nathan Rourke. He's Mm -hmm. now Jacksonville Jaguars quarterback. Nathan Rourke, he's going to join us at 7.30. Among the many questions we have for Nathan, I think, the biggest one is, why Jacksonville? Mm-hmm. Might be the first person ever to pick Jacksonville. Right. They picked uh, they picked Jacksonville to host a Super Bowl once, and they immediately regretted it. They were like, <laughs> we're never doing this again. They're like, ah, you know what? One thing we should have checked is that Jacksonville has hotels. <laughs> and it turns out they don't have many. Hotels and taxis. They were short on both. 8 o'clock, the Drancer, Thomas Drance from the Athletic Vancouver. Uh, we'll talk to him about everything that went on during uh, Jim Rutherford's lengthy he went almost a full hour with the media yesterday, Jimbo. Uh, Jim Rutherford's lengthy media availability. There were so many things to take away from Jim Rutherford's media availability yesterday. That w- Jason and I won't be able to get through all of it ourselves. We need to bring in Drance to get through some of this. So working in reverse, 8 o'clock, it's the Drancer. 7.30, Nathan Rourke. 7 o'clock, Arthur Griffiths. 6.30, Greg Wyshynski. We're also doing another round of giveaways on the show today. We're going to be giving away, it's just one one pair of tickets today, correct? Yes, to the Tampa game tomorrow. Tampa, Canucks, 7 o'clock, Rogers Arena. On Wednesday night, we're giving away a pair of tickets to the best, or for the best, what we learned. Uh, hashtag it WWL. Put a ticket emoji in your text. Text the 65050. Also, whew, we are giving away a $50 gift card 
to the Clayton Public House and two reserved seats to watch the big game on Super Sunday. That's February 12th. It's the pickleball tournament. That is correct. Yeah. Uh, 50 bucks to the Clayton Public House and a pair of tickets to hang out with the Sportsnet 650 staff, including Randy Janda. He's going to be hosting uh, the big game on Super Sunday at the Clayton Public and House. And chugging beers, apparently. Chugging beers. You that, volunteered him. Uh, Jason didn't necessarily volunteer him. I just said he's going to be doing it. Yeah, I don't know if that's volunteering, really, yeah. when you just say it out loud. Was it a challenge? <laughs> yeah, the, he the... said he was going to do it with his shirt off, too. I was like, I don't think that's necessary, Randy. <laughs> See, now we're, ve- we're veering Shot into... of absence at every commercial we're, break? Yeah. Wow. We're veering into the... I hope you got a ride home, buddy. <laughs> We've gone from the creative liberties to blatant lying part yeah. of the show. But yeah. regardless, he now no, has no, this, to drink... This happened. He now has to drink beer with his shirt off. Okay, so that's everything that's happening on the show today. It's a big one. We got a lot to get to, but before we do any of this, uh, we need to tell you what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. no. What happened? I missed all the action because I was. We know how busy your life can be. What happened? Missed that? You missed that? What happened? So on Monday, Vancouver Canucks president of hockey operations, Jim Rutherford, met with the media. It was supposed to be, supposed to, supposed to, supposed to be about the state of Tanner Pearson's uh, injury, wrist surgery, and subsequent delayed rehabilitation. It turned into much, much more than that, a virtual state of the franchise. And Jason, the state of the franchise is not good. So I'm just going to run through a few of the things that Rutherford said at this press conference. Mike said earlier in the show, listen, we're not going to be able to get into every little thing and every little debate that came out of this Rutherford press conference because he talked a lot and he said a bunch. He is not Patrick Alvin. When he talks, there's meat on the bone. You don't have to like the taste of that, (laughs) but he said stuff. Um, There's probably going to be just one or two things that we're really going to debate, but... If there was anything he said yesterday that you really liked, or based on what I've been reading on social media, you really didn't like, then feel free to text into the Dunbar Lumber text line, and we will see if we can take some time to discuss it. So here are a few takeaways. These are not the big the big ones that we're going to get to, but they are takeaways. Rutherford admitted he was disappointed in the job he's done clearing cap space. You'll remember he came in and he said probably one of the first things, if not the first thing he said, is we got to get a handle on our salary cap situation. He has not done that yet, and he conceded that it's going to be tough to make moves before that's done. Perhaps related to that, they will consider using buyouts this summer. He admitted the Canucks now need, quote-unquote, major surgery as opposed to the quote-unquote minor surgery he thought they might need when he took the job. While he maintained that the core isn't the issue, his opinion, he did concede that some of the core are possibly, or likely in fact, to be moved. He admitted, there's a lot of admitting and conceding going on here, he admitted they're in a a pickle in trying to re-sign Bo Horvat given Horvat's huge leap in goal-scoring production this season. He basically said, we've got a fair offer on the table, based on what Horvat did in his career up to this point. 
But because Horvat has taken off from a goal-scoring perspective, the Canucks are in a pickle. He doesn't think that JT Miller's contract will, quote, affect what the Canucks do several years down the road. And the reason for that is because he, think the, he thinks the salary cap is going to start going up, which is probable that the salary cap is going to start going up. Whether or not he's right on the first part of that, we'll have to wait and see. Mm-hmm. He is not concerned that Elias Pettersson won't want to re-sign. Pedersen can sign an extension as early as July 1st this offseason. He said he's been keeping in touch with the Pedersen camp, and he's not worried that Petey has gotten to the point where he's looking around at this organization and asking himself whether or not he really wants to commit to it long term. He kept saying, Jim Rutherford kept saying, that he knows the fans are impatient and he knows the fans want things to improve quickly, which makes me crazy when I hear that. Crazy. But I digress. He admitted that he's had conversations with coaching candidates, which is a hell of a thing to admit, considering Bruce Boudreaux is still the coach. He also said that, by the way. Bruce Boudreaux is our coach for now. But the biggest thing for me, out of all those things, many of which were actually big, the biggest thing for me was his comment that he'd prefer reclamation projects as opposed to draft picks. And his quote was, my preference when we make these deals, and he's talking about trades that are going to happen, is not necessarily for draft picks that may come in and help the team four to five years from now. I prefer to get younger NHL players that maybe didn't work out in their entry-level contract and to bring them in and give them a second chance. And why was this the biggest thing for me? This was the biggest thing for me because this is the exact same impatient strategy. Didn't want to wait the years for the draft picks to develop. This is the exact same impatient strategy that Jim Benning employed, and that strategy was a disaster. Mike is now going to take a huge gulp of coffee because he knows he's got a lot of talking to do. I mean, you laid out every single thing, almost every single thing that Jim Rutherford said yesterday in his near hour-long media availability. Can we play the audio first and foremost? Because I think it's important, one, to break up the monotony in our, of our voices, and two, just to reiterate the Groundhog Day nature of this, where it's, oh no, oh God, here we go again. It's the same strategy as the previous regime. Uh, you can phrase it however you want. I believe the key phrasing here was retool, not a rebuild, which is always fun to hear out loud. This is the president of hockey ops, general, or sorry, president of hockey ops, Jim Rutherford, uh, hammering home what Jason just laid out in full, that the preference is not to get draft picks. The preference is to get NHL ready prospects. Take it away, Greg. We're not looking towards a rebuild. I'd rather call it a retool. My preference is when we make these deals is not necessarily for draft picks that may come in and help the team, you know, four years from now, five years from now. I'd prefer to get younger NHL players that maybe didn't work out in their entry-level contract and, you know, bring them in, give them a second chance. We'll still try to acquire some draft picks, but we have to we have to go about this in a way that that it's not a long-term rebuild. 
okay? And I think we can do that. The possibilities are out there. Now, you get some of these players that have been two years in the league and haven't uh, met their expectations, you know, they may not turn out either. You know, there's a risk in that. But it's no different than the draft pick that you take that you find out three years from now that they didn't develop properly. So that's kind of the direction we'd like to go. So it'll be a mix of draft picks and hopefully younger NHL guys that have NHL experience. And I agree with you. Um, This was the biggest takeaway, and it should be the biggest takeaway from the entire media availability Um, because that is the philosophical approach. That is the big picture plan. That is the organizational blueprint for the next three to four years. Why do you think Jim Rutherford is so confident that he himself can pull off this strategy? Um, I would say because like a lot of executives that I think of, I'm going to dance around. I don't want to, I don't want to go to the old hockey guy thing, but I think he has a track record of pulling the choke chain and getting immediate results and thinking that the past is going to replicate itself in the future. I think the problem with it is that the landscape has changed fundamentally for everybody, including Jim Rutherford. Things aren't what they were like in in Carolina almost 20 years ago, and things certainly aren't what they were like in Pittsburgh in 2015 and 2016. But Jim Rutherford was hired. Probably a large percentage of that hire went towards his resume mm-hmm. and what he's done in the past. And I feel like sometimes they can't change their stripes. That Some certain executives are what they are, and their approach is what it is, and you either have to get on board with it, or if you want him to go a different direction, then you have to get a different manager. That's how I would lay it out. Do you remember when Jim Benning took the job? And obviously Mike Gillis in that um, management group had not drafted well, and there was a real um, hole where the prospect cupboards were empty. Remember that? Like, that was an issue, right? That's one of the reasons he took over. So Jim Benning said, we need to replace that prospect group that we don't have right now because of poor drafting or trading away draft picks or the fact that the Canucks were often not drafting in the top 10 or barely ever because the team was good. I remember when he said that, and I said, I don't like this strategy. It seems like you're going to rob Peter to pay Paul to chase this strategy. And here's why I don't like this strategy the most. Good young players have never been more valuable in the NHL for multiple reasons. The league is younger. It's faster. Young players come into this league right now, and the good ones produce right away. Yeah, there are some late bloomers. You look at a guy like Tage Thompson. He's a late bloomer. Most of the time, though, you know when you see players early on in in their NHL careers whether they're going to make it or not. Most of the time. There's also an advantage in these good young players and for teams to keep these good young players because of the salary cap. A lot of the time you're not paying a lot of the time you're not paying them huge dollars. Okay? Yep. yep. So, I'm with you. I would say this is especially true for good young centers and good young defensemen. If a team is willing to part with a young player, that to me is already a big red flag. Why were the San Jose Sharks willing to part with Nikolai Goldobin? 
Why were the Ottawa Senators willing to part with Jonathan Dolan? What's up with that? Those guys were both fairly highly touted draft prospects. Why were those teams willing to give up those guys for rentals? Mm -hmm. For Yannick Hansen, for Alex Burroughs. That's interesting. And I think it borders on arrogance when you think you know better about a player than the team that has actually drafted and been working with that player. Here's why else it's a bit problematic in my mind. Feel free to disagree with me. Text into the Dunbar Lumber text line 650-650. Jim Rutherford might text in. Maybe a player like Bo Horvat could get a team to part with a young player that they legitimately don't want to move. Like they're legitimately like, this is our top prospect. But Bo Horvat, this guy's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Who else on the Canucks is going to garner that? Who else on the Canucks is going to make a team go, you know, like we don't want to give up this guy, but hey, this is a pretty good player. Yep. Petey, Hughes, and Demko could, sure. But you're not going to trade those guys if you're retooling. So who else? Brock Besser? I don't think so. I think teams would be out of their minds to give up a legitimately good young prospect that's in the league for Brock Besser. He's not producing, and his contract is through the roof. Mm-hmm. Some people will point to the Ethan Bear trade as proof that good young players can be found for a fair price. But let's get real here, people. Ethan Bear has not really moved the needle with this team. He's been fine, which is actually above average for the Canucks defense, but he's been fine. He's not an amazing player, though. He still makes mistakes. He doesn't pile up the points. I'm not sure he's a top-four guy on a good team. And he's been the best acquisition so far. Has Jack Studnika moved the needle? We heard about him. Oh, the Bruins at one point really liked him. He was an AHL producer. But for whatever reason, his development in the NHL tapped out. Yeah, I think we're seeing why. He's fine. He's an NHL player. Not a great NHL player, though. What about Riley Stillman? Nope. Travis Dermott? Meh. You know, maybe it's not fair to judge those acquisitions entirely because they were made before the team did clear cap space, which it still hasn't done. Mm -hmm. Maybe with a little more wiggle room, some better opportunities will present themselves. I'm just doubtful of this overall philosophy. I'm doubtful of this strategy. I don't think it's going to work. For the millionth time, I'm going to say, I hope I'm wrong. Prove me wrong, kids. I'm not optimistic about it, though. So he just brought up. um, Prove me wrong, kids. Prove me wrong. Principal Skinner just brought up. He just brought up two reasons for concern. One is the approach itself, the philosophical approach. I'm using philosophical a lot, but the the plan, the blueprint. You're like, I'm not sure that this is the right way to go about doing it. But then there's a second concern. And it's like, okay, let's table concerns about the actual approach. I'm not even sure they can pull it off. Those are two fundamentally important concerns. I don't believe in the blueprint. And even if you do get the blueprint through the passing zone and the design is okay, I'm not even sure that you can pull it off. That is important. Because a lot of people are texting in, and I've seen this sentiment everywhere. It's like, look at what Montreal did with Kirby Doc, and look at what other teams have done in acquiring young players. Great example. Love it. Thanks for putting it forward. 
Kirby Doc cost Montreal a first and a third round pick. Yeah. So let's say, <laughs> let's say that you get one of these reclamation projects in return in a Horvat trade. How are you going to get another one? How are you going to get another one? How are you going to get trading guys? first round picks? How are you going to get guys of impact? Because there's a difference between Kirby Doc and and Jack Studnika. And there's a big fundamental difference. Now, how many of these do you need to knock out of the park? Because I would say that if you're going to use that approach to try and improve your blue line, you're going to need a truckload of assets to send the other way. And like you said, I'm not sure the Canucks have it. Because they haven't spent an inordinate amount of time stockpiling picks and prospects and other things, cap space, to bring these guys in. Like Montreal brought in Doc and then automatically re-signed him to a fairly lengthy deal. Low cap it, but fairly lengthy deal. I think we also need to chill out on the Kirby Doc has officially made it as a player. Well, okay, there's a whole other... uh, The the first part of your um, pushback to this plan was that oftentimes teams that give up on younger players, that's a red flag. Mm -hmm. Why? Why Why is is Montreal giving up on Jesperi Kokanyemi? Right, and then we've kind of seen in the aftermath that maybe Montreal was right to balk at that uh, offer sheet. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's a reason that that guy becomes expendable. I see a lot of people talking about the Bo Horvat trade in conjunction with a lot of these young guys that aren't doing particularly well in their markets. Alexis Lafreniere and Capo Caco are two of them. Here's my question for Canucks fans: If that somehow was to be a returning piece. Let's just talk theoretically. Let's go Lafreniere. Okay. Not Kako. Are you over the moon excited? Or are you approaching it with a little bit of trepidation? I'd be over the moon excited with Lafreniere. Okay, good. That's good. Because that was, it was a it was a first overall pick a couple of years ago. And I remember personally. Capo Kako was the second overall yeah, pick, right? But I remember watching Lafreniere in the World Juniors and going, this guy's going to be a player, right? Yeah. Now, the other thing I'll say is. I More never watched Jack Studnika. <laughs> My Studnika highlights. Uh, I went back and looked at the 2017 draft. And that's a pretty important one in this grand scheme of things. Because, one, this class is now six years out from being picked. So they're at that age where you're kind of saying, ooh, maybe we can pluck a guy out of here and move him along. Of the top ten picks in that class, it's become really clear uh, who are players and who aren't, and subsequently, who's been retained by their drafting team and who hasn't. So, like, Nico Heischer, first overall. New Jersey's, yep, this has worked out great for us. They've signed him long-term. He's a functioning member of society in New Jersey. He ain't going anywhere. Second overall pick was Nolan Patrick. Obviously, his career's kind of been besieged by injury. But go down the list. Heiskin and Makar Pedersen, gems of that draft class, all crucially important to their teams, all two of them locked up for the foreseeable future, and then Pedersen, the Canucks hope to. Then you get to the guys that have been moved on. Cody Glass, Leas Anderson, Owen Tippett. Those are all top 10 picks. They haven't panned out. Other teams have taken a chance on them in the second or third iteration, hoping that they might land a diamond in the rough. But more often than not, they haven't panned out in the second and third stops. It's a dangerous game to play. NHL teams draft these guys. And then put a wealth of resources 
into trying to make them bonafide NHL stars. We're talking about top 10 picks. The reason they do that is because they understand the value of having a good, young, contributing player on an ALC. So, you do, like Jason said, you do have to wonder, when they're ready to part ways with a guy, the first question should be, why? Why? Yeah. Why? Is it because you're so tantalized by the player we're offering up? Mm-hmm. Maybe. And people can point out uh, exceptions to the rule because you can always point out exceptions to the rule. People still point out Philip Forsberg and how the Predators somehow got him away from the Washington Capitals, who had soured on him. Were the Capitals wrong to sour on him? Yeah, they were. So go and find five of those guys now. (laughs) You know, similar stories. So listen, I want to put this out there. Just because this strategy didn't work under Jim Benning doesn't 100% mean it won't work with Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin and others in charge. At the end of the day, regardless of the philosophy or the strategy or whatever you want to call it, you still have to execute it. Yep. You can be bad and get a bunch of first overall picks, and then you still have issues because you've made a bunch of bad decisions building out the rest of the roster, like the Edmonton Oilers, who've had a bunch of first overall picks, and they still have, while they have a, you know, a, a good team better than the Canucks, they do not have a perfect team. Because they've made bad decisions elsewhere or their draft picks haven't panned out um, elsewhere. We all know the Edmonton Oilers story. Yep. Conversely, you could retool and you could make all the right moves and you could find a bunch of diamonds in the rough, a bunch of guys, a bunch of Philip Forsbergs out there, and you win the Stanley Cup. So what we're left to debate is the most likely avenue to success. And sure. what is success? Competing for a Stanley Cup, winning a Stanley Cup. That is success. And I don't personally think that the most likely avenue to success is by spending assets on reclamation projects in an attempt to turn the team around in a year or two. And make no mistake, that's the timeline to turn the team around, according to Jim Rutherford. He had an exchange with Thomas Trance yesterday where he said, Well, what do you think is a quick turnaround? What's a reasonable turnaround? And Durant said three years. And Jim Rutherford said, three years? Yeah. We can do it in three years. I thought you were going to say, I don't know, three weeks. Right. You know, like, <laughs> he was like, he was like, you know, yeah, I hope to have this team turned around in a year. Okay. Well, I don't think that's possible. I don't think that's going to happen. Again, prove me wrong. I hope I'm wrong. God, I hope I'm wrong. You know what? The people who have been yelling, I hope I'm wrong. They haven't been wrong very often when it comes to this team. Coming up on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650, Greg Wyshynski from ESPN will go around the NHL with one of our favorite guests of the week. That's all coming up next on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Six thirty-three on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet six fifty. Halford and Bruff of the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Uh, that music can only mean one thing. It's time now for ESPN's Greg Wyshynski here on the Halford and Bruff show on Sportsnet six fifty. What up, Wish? How's the soap opera, boys? Oh, it, did they release a new episode of the Real Housewives of Vancouver this morning, or? Uh... 
was the latest one just yesterday. You, you know those shows like uh, Sons of Anarchy or I guess more recently Yellowstone where you're, you're into them for the first few years and then you're like, I don't know, the writing is getting a bit unrealistic. <laughs> That's where we're at with the Canucks. Yeah, we're into like season eight of Entourage right now. <laughs> right, right, yeah, exactly. Now, now there's like a, there, this is where like either a mysterious long-lost brother or maybe some sort of international arms dealer comes to town. You know, mm. it's like there needs to be some sort of plot twist at this point. Somebody's pregnant. Uh, yeah, no, I know. To, what you're to talking really about, kind yeah. of reinvigorate it. I mean, I, listen, I, I still, I, I know that you guys are probably have have uh, fatigue when it comes to all of this messiness. Um, but I find it to be uh, an unending, uh, uh, you know, interesting narrative. I mean, you know the. I guess the latest episode, we found out that Rick Tockett's going to be your new coach and that the team won't pay uh, Bo Horvat more than JT Miller, despite him being two years younger and probably, you know, arguably has more upside at this point in his career. Is that is that the latest episode? Yeah. I mean, look, we laid it out at the beginning. Like, Jason ran through note by note of every single thing that Jim Rutherford hit on. And there were about 18 very vital talking points. We're like, okay, look, we're not going to be able to get into all of this. And to be perfectly honest... Uh, I'm glad you brought in the coaching part of it because that was discussed yesterday in a significant way and we couldn't get to it in time. We had 26 minutes and we couldn't do it. So I want to bring this up because you tweeted out yesterday and I quote, I think Rick Tockett was the beneficiary of low expectations and pretty great goaltending in Arizona. His teams competed hard, but were punchless offensively. I'll be interested to see how his skills and system translate to a team like Vancouver if he ends up there. Greg? He's going to end up here. He's going to be the next coach of the hockey team. So I suppose your interest is going to be peaked because Rick Tockett and his system will soon be engineering, orchestrating the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, and I'm bummed because I predicted on Friday there'd be no coaching changes. I I was right on the fence to say except for Vancouver. I should have probably put that caveat in, but say la vie. Um, I don't know how much I can really say because he's like on a competing network. (laughs) So I don't know. For now, he's on a competing network. Can I can I criticize him as a coach, but not as as a guy? I don't know. Let me let me try to try to split a hair here. Um, I did not feel as though. Uh, okay, let me let me rewind it. Like I said, <laughs> there are times when people thrive in places like Arizona, and their success there relative to expectations is overstated. I, we've seen executives uh, in that position. I think coaches have been in that position. Dave Tippett, for example. I, I think we've seen that franchise in particular because no one expects anything from them because of the ownership problems, because of the budget. Uh, if you do anything there that makes them relevant, uh, you are now you know, given a crown. And when Tockett was there, he had great goaltending. He played a system that spoke to the lack of offensive talent on the team. And I, and I don't know if that is why they couldn't put the puck in the net or if maybe there's a, a, an inherent part of that system that makes it difficult because their shooting percentages year by year were always terrible. Um, he gets teams to play really hard. I, I think that's the greatest virtue of Rick Tocchi. He's a player's coach. He's a guy that gets your team to play hard. He gives them structure. Um, and then the other thing about him, too, I was talking to a general manager the other day about, about coaches and, and guys that get recycled. And, and, and this, he said something interesting, which is that, you know, your first time in the league, you're probably not going to get it right. You know, it's a, it's a really, really hard job to do. Your second time around, maybe you get it right. But sometimes it takes guys three kicks of the can 
before they really figure this thing out. And, and in Tockett's case, that, that's what Vancouver would be. It'd be his third team. He was in Tampa for a few years, then Arizona, and then this would be his third team. So I'm not, I can't say that you know, he wouldn't have evolved as a coach and gotten better and maybe figured out the offensive side of the game a bit more at a time when that's pretty much what you have to do in this league. Um, but I got to tell you that you know, the idea that he's a cure-all for anybody, whether it's Vancouver or another team, I've never really bought into that narrative. Let's get to Jim Rutherford now. Um, we were having a big discussion um, before you joined us about, you know, his strategy is that he wants to find reclamation projects. He wants to find good young players that maybe haven't uh, panned out perfectly with uh, their team and bring them to the Vancouver Canucks. Um, first of all, what do you think the, of that strategy? And second of all, how much do you think his experience with Pittsburgh and making a bunch of savvy trades um, before the Penguins won back-to-back Stanley Cups, how much do you think that has impacted his confidence that he can do the same with Vancouver without going through a full-on rebuild? Well, he's, he found some diamonds in the rough in, in Pittsburgh, no question about it. But, I mean, you think about the big swings that he made that really made that team what it was. I mean, Kessel – Right. Uh, the Hornquist trade was his, his calling card yep. trading, you know, Neil for, for Hornquist, which at the time was seen as a real risk. Um, you know, like it was a lot of sort of like acquiring established players ra- rather than completely distressed assets that really kind of spun the, the Penguins off into into championship, uh, you know, back into championship contention. The issue is that you can do that. You can take big swings when you know you're coming back in the house and the house is built on Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, and Crystal Tang. Like, it, it makes life a lot easier when you know that's the case. And so when you walk back into the Vancouver house and it's built on, you know, Pedersen and, and Quinn and, and I guess Demko would be the third, right, at this point. I guess J.T. Miller by default. J.T. Miller, it's yeah, prob- he's, yep, yep. It's, it's probably a different feeling. So, I don't know. Like, <clears throat> I think that there's definitely a way to do the thing that he's talking about. I, I I just think it's very rare. Let me let me. There's a lot of teams that have tried to do it. You know, like the the Black Hawks, Blackhawks have tried to do it to go and find your your you know distressed asset young players that didn't pan out and and then you know oftentimes they didn't work out. When when the Lightning do it, it works out. When Colorado does it, it's down to Kushkin. <laughs> like there are some really really savvy front offices that are able to do this and do it effectively. I, I, it remains to be seen if Vancouver is one of them, to be quite honest. What do you think the Canucks should do? I think the, I think the Canucks should be really aggressive in, in trying. Well, first of all, they should buy a time machine. <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, we've been, we, I've been working, one, uh, working on one in the garage yeah, for, yeah, for, get, get for, back in, for multiple reasons. Yeah. I, I was going to say, get back in that, in that garage and work in that DeLorean because that's the thing they really need. But mm-hmm. no, I mean, they should be hyper-aggressive in, in, in trading Every everybody on the team not named Pedersen, Demko, or or Quinn. That's it. That's that's the plan. I don't want to hear distressed yeah. assets. I don't want to hear JT Miller. You're obviously not interested in paying Horvat what he's going to be given on the open market. So trade him now. Trade him for whatever you you can get before he leaves. Like just reshape the team. I mean, I this this idea of like I, I don't I don't know why. I, the most frustrating thing about that about that 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 the interview uh, press conference yesterday with with uh, Jim was was this notion of like being surprised by any of this like 
if you're surprised by any of this, it's because you've made the critical error that a lot of teams made, which is that, as we've discussed before on the show, you, you invested too much faith into what happened to the bubble, you know, and, and didn't recognize the team for what it is, which is a deeply flawed roster. And the idea that, again, that you doubled down on a roster that the person who built got fired for building is insane. And so if you've just come to this conclusion now, which it appears they have, we've got to make some sacrifices that we didn't think we'd have to make, you know, when I took this gig. What are you doing? Like, this is the point. The point of you coming in was to fix the roster. Yeah. And if for the most part, you kept it intact. Well, I think and he did. I th- wasted, hold I, on. But now you've <laughs> wasted everybody's time since he got there to figure out something that half the city already figured out. I think he did try and move contracts. I think he. I think he's tried very hard to make trades. He just hasn't been able to do it because of the flat cap. And I think if there's one thing that he erred on was okay, he, okay. he misjudged how difficult it was going to be to move salary off this team. So we've already established because of what Gary Bettman said at Board of Governors that we're going to probably have another year of slow cap growth. So now what? You wait another year? Like, Yeah, it's going to be tough. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So, so you know, if the plan is to try to acquire distressed assets and make deeper cuts than you expected, then the plan is simply to just trade Bo Horvat and then, you know, use that cap space for something, I guess, is the only way, way you, you go, right? Because you've committed yourself to Miller and you've done all these other things and the cap is flat and yada, yada, yada. Well, he so. also brought up that there might be some buyouts this offseason, which, cool. you know, creates cap space, but it also... You know, creates puts, cap penalties. Puts dead money on your on your cap <laughs> that you know long term has an effect. I I don't know who he's targeting for a buyout, but you know I I think a lot of um a lot of these things are going to be decided by how easy it's going to be. For example, to trade a Brock Besser or to trade a Connor Garland. If you can trade those two guys, that's ten million dollars in cap space, which does open up opportunities. Now you have to use those opportunities well. But I think we're still, in, for me personally, I don't know what this offseason is going to be like. I don't know if the NHL and the NHLPA are going to get together and maybe negotiate the cap going up a few more million dollars, uh, and that would make it easier, a little easier, not make it easy, but for Jim Rutherford to move out money. But, you know, the one takeaway, well, there's many takeaways I had from yesterday, but he basically said, listen, I have failed to move money. I have failed. I'm disappointed in myself for not being able to do that, whether that was just, you know, not finding the trades or underestimating how difficult it was going to be to move that money. But until he does that, he's kind of like, hey, my hands are tied. Like, I can't do much. So that's kind of the big immediate questions that's certainly heading into the offseason. How easy is it going to be to move money? And I'll put that question to you, Wish. How easy is it going to be to move money? So it's not, I mean, it's, it's going to be easier in the off season than it is now. I mean, that's obvious. Like, you know, teams generally are going to have, you know, players leave via free agency, look for other options, kind of have a better handle on their finances. It's, it's much easier always to, to make moves in the off season than it is in season. Um, that said, you know, I'm writing about this on Thursday in my column, like the trade market sucks right now to the point where we don't even have good rumors. Like what's the yeah. good rumor right now? Gustav Nyquist might get traded traded. I'll alert the media. Like it's, it, we're at a point where, you know, there's such stasis in the market right now that everybody's waiting for something to drop, some domino to fall to, to try to like loosen the gears a little bit, maybe start some transactions going, but the flat caps an issue. 
the the um, everything's an issue right now. I mean, you know, teams are you know have contracts that they're locked into for a long time, you know, because they didn't anticipate what's happened in the last two or three years. There's a lot of, of different factors involved, but again, like some teams have been able to find ways to do it uh, if they have the right assets. I mean, you know, the, the Minnesota wild were completely under the gun and they had to sacrifice Kevin Fiala and they did. And that's how they had to work it when they were in a cap crunch. So it, it's just, you know, how much, how much pain are you willing to self-inflict to get out of the pickle that you're in is really the question for a lot of these teams. We're speaking to uh, Greg Wyshynski from ESPN here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, elsewhere in the National Hockey League, the Seattle Kraken's reign of terror finally came to an end yesterday. They finally <laughs> lost a hockey game 4-1 at home to the Tampa Bay Lightning. The only thing I can deduce here is that they should have played the remainder of their games on the road because as soon as they came back home that they lost. So it was an eight-game winning streak, seven of them on the road. Uh, when we look at it, Wish, we're, we're kind of – we're kind of intrigued, definitely enamored, and definitely impressed by what they've done. But there's also that sort of, when is this going to stop rolling? When is this train going to come to a screeching halt? Because they're on a crazy shooting percentage heater. And they're getting, I, I don't even know if it's good goaltending. but It has been recently. It has been recently. Yeah, for yeah. Martin Jones. But it felt like everything came together perfectly at the right time for a long time. I'll put it this way. I'm not exactly sure what to make of the Kraken. Uh, have you been able to figure it out? First of all, I thought the, the lightning win was the most predictable result of the weekend in any sport. Like, that is a game that they identified, <laughs> and you're like, all right, let's, let's see what, if we've still got the mojo going as a, as a defensive unit to take on a team on, like, a 12% shooting vendor. Right. And they did. <laughs> and it was, it, was, it was a lightning win, for sure. Um, listen, the shooting percentage is obviously going to drop at some point. I don't think it's going to necessarily remain where it's been for, like, the last month for the Kraken. That said, you know, they, they, they've clearly perfected this notion of bend but don't break defense, bend but don't break goaltending, and then allow the, your depth at forward to really kind of take over games. And I think it's a good, it's a good formula. I mean, the arrival of Beniers reset their depth at center, which was arguably the, the biggest weakness in their lineup last year outside of goaltending. They have a, just a slew of veteran wingers on that team that know what they're doing. They're for real. Like, as long as, long as they, they keep getting goaltending that is, uh, you know, not dominant, but also not completely undercutting what they do positively. And, and that was really the issue last year. I mean, you talk to the Kraken um, and the amount of games in which they scored a goal to take the lead or scored a goal to tie a game and then immediately surrendered one to their opponent within like the next 90 seconds. It happened like a dozen times last year and it's not been happening this year. And it's really allowed them to build confidence and, and find their game. So I think, I think they're going to be a playoff team. I just, I just obviously don't think they're going to be rolling teams, you know, six to one, like they've been doing lately. So on Friday, wish we were talking about the Colorado avalanche and, uh, every Friday we do our best bets with playnow.com. And I brought up, uh, the possibility of betting on Colorado to miss the playoffs because the odds were pretty tempting. It was like, you get three to one money or whatever. Uh, since I did that lock of the week, they have beaten Ottawa 7 nothing, and last night they beat Detroit 6-3. Granted, it's only two wins over probably non-playoff teams, but are you just kind of waiting for the Avs to start rolling, or is there something fundamentally that this Avs team needs to fix? <laughs> 
I just like the idea of somebody having posted your proclamation in their locker room somewhere. You know, Jason like, Bruff from Sportsnet <laughs> 650. He bet twenty dollars against us. Yeah. Jared Bednar is up there being like, "You got, you want this guy to define your season? You want this guy?" Yeah, it's beautiful. God, uh, so, I wish the Canucks would use my words against me as motivation. Yeah, um, yeah it was just a matter until they of time until they got rolling. Um, they're they're going to they're obviously starting to get a little bit healthier. Although, you know, the return of guys like Lannis Cog and Byram, I think, are a little bit more hazy. Um, the, real, the real intrigue for me, honestly, because we wrote about this last week, too, is when you look at the, the bubble in the West, I think you know, I wouldn't be shocked if the top three in both divisions remain the top three in both divisions, unless Colorado goes on a real bender. But, like, Calgary is the real intrigue for me. I, I, I think that's a team that's going to miss the playoffs, personally. Like, right. I, I yeah. think they've... They've really been, you know, feasting on loser points. They're a team that saw 43 goals walk out the door with Kachuk and Gaudreau, plus the other goals they helped generate. They've not, they've, they did their best to plug the holes in the hull to make sure the ship didn't go under, but they, you can't replace that amount of offense. And I think that's been the real struggle for them this season, on top of Markstrom being pretty ordinary at times. So if you look at the playoff picture in the West right now, I, I think it's probably you know, Colorado or Minnesota in that wild card. And I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's going to be Edmonton in the other. And I think Calgary might be on the outside looking in at the end. Wish great stuff today, bud. Thanks a lot for doing this. We appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of the week. We'll do this again next Tuesday. Anytime. Thank you. Greg Wyshynski from ESPN here on the Halford and Bruff show on Sportsnet 650. Calgary lost again last night, by the way. UC Soros, 38 saves, including 21 in the third period, is he doing the Demko thing of last year, just propping up? Oh, he's been doing it for a while. <laughs> no, but this season, in particular yes. the last few weeks, is he had the 64 save uh, win a couple weeks ago. And he's just I've been looking at the numbers over the last, I don't know, month, month and a half. And it's not just really good goaltending. It's at the, it's with no help in front of him. Right. Like, they are just bleeding chances like crazy. Like Well, his goal saved above expected is just ballooning every yeah, game. Well, it must be. Right? <laughs> He's getting, like, two goals saved every game. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's and pretty it, wild. And well, it's, we've talked about this Western Conference, and one team is going to miss that it's going to be like, wow, that's a big story. And why? that's usually the case, right? It, it usually is the case. Sure. But if you're talking about if Colorado um, does figure things out and get healthy and maybe they make a – uh, a big acquisition before the trade deadline. Who knows? If they get into a playoff position, we're talking a pretty big story. Unless it's like L.A. drops out, then it'd be like, eh, whatever. But then, then nobody cares. Then no, then less people care. But you know, if if one of the Alberta teams misses the playoffs this season, like which which actually here's that's a great question. Which would be the bigger story? Calgary missing the playoffs. Edmonton, Edmonton, or Edmonton missing the playoffs. Edmonton. Edmonton. Calgary think- had those losses in the off season. I think people could blame that. What's Edmonton's excuse? I, I agree I would probably pick Edmonton, but I don't want to discount the importance of Calgary missing just because they are win now. Yep. Like so is Edmonton. But but and that's mostly because McDavid and Drysidle you gotta you gotta do something with these guys. Um, you know, Drysidle only has a couple years left on his contract, McDavid only has three. But if the Flames aren't good enough right now to even make the playoffs, how do you think those contracts to the likes of Huberto and Codry are gonna how do you think those things are going to age? Like they needed to do something now. Marky's yeah. getting old. Yeah, the play, like, the, the team is getting old. So who was the the one last year? Was Vegas right? When Vegas missed, everyone was like, "Oh my god!" Like, but they had a few baked in excuses. They had great excuses, including all the injuries, and they've kind of bounced back to form this year. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm with you. Like Edmonton missing would be 
it would just be in a different class than Calgary because Calgary always did have that question mark. We all said on paper they might have actually got better. How do you how do you miss the playoffs with arguably two of the three best players in the world, like on your roster, or two or three, yeah, two and, of the five yeah, best but, players? And, right? and like, Edmonton went to the uh, Western Conference final right. last like, it's year. Just, it's, but guys, it's who's incredible. more who's more screwed if they miss the playoffs? I would argue maybe that the Calgary players, yeah. is more screwed with those contracts, yeah, because those they got those contracts. The only yep. thing the only thing I'd say about Calgary is that Huberto's cap hit is going to be ten and a half million next yeah, the, season. The I would I, rather have JT Miller's contract than Huberto's. The only, I mean, I could I could see a situation in Calgary where if they miss Tree Living at the end of the year is like, look, we had a lot of guys come in first year. It didn't go great. They're going to get their footing and they're going to figure this out as opposed to, oh, my God, we just signed Kadri and Huberto on the back nine and they've already taken this huge fall. Off. Now, Kadri's been good. Uh, Huberto hasn't. But Markstrom's the biggest issue for me there is that. It's, well, they have a little guy named Dustin Wolf coming up through the system. Yeah, He's apparently. Pretty darn good. Yeah, but the, the, the thing is, is you've got Markstrom's term. Yeah, is that going to match up with Markstrom's cap hit? Yeah. Um, he was Vesna caliber last year. Now he's not. And we've seen this in a bunch of different markets, right? Laddie, what's going on with Marky? Well, there's we saw it here in Vancouver. You know, he has his ups and downs. And, yeah. and it's he's a, he's a kind of guy that he's affected a lot by uh, what, what goes on around him. And I think mm-hmm. if there is a lot of... Uh, lack of structure in that flame system right now, then you'll, you'll see the result in, in Marky's play. So you're saying it's Mackenzie Weger's fault? Yes. Yes. Okay. Entirely. Yeah. Uh, okay. Coming up in the 7 o'clock hour on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650, we're going to talk to the former owner of the Vancouver Canucks, Arthur Griffiths. Uh, we'll obviously talk about uh, Gina Ojik, who tragically passed away over the weekend at the age of 52. Uh, we'll talk to him about Gino in that golden era, really around 94, where Gino and a host of other Canucks won the hearts of the market and what a great time it was for the organization. I can talk about a lot of different things there. 730, former BC Lions quarterback, now quarterback, one of the quarterbacks of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Nathan Rourke is going to join us on the program. We'll talk to him about the decision to go into Jacksonville, uh, what his future has in store, how excited he is to work with Trevor Lawrence. And uh, Doug Peterson, we can ask him if he feels personally responsible for that comeback victory mm-hmm. that they had over the, the L.A. Chargers on the weekend. I want to ask him when he signed. Could he officially celebrate that victory as a member of the Jacksonville Jaguars? That is a good question. We're going to ask all of these questions coming up in the 7 o'clock hour. It's coming up next on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.